He needs to keep his promises. You don't know what's true anymore. It hurts me to see people burn the flag. Race relations. Tell me I can't have a gun. I just don't like the politics. Unbelievable. It's what you've been waiting for all day. America Now. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Buck Sexton with America Now. Very excited to be here with all of you. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, Phone numbers uh, 844-900-2825. Come hang out with me in the Freedom Hut. Give me a call. You can also send me your thoughts on Twitter at Buck Sexton, and you can go to Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Tell me your thoughts there as well. Uh, the, the headline here is amusing, but they certainly don't mean it to be. New York Times piece from earlier today. Weakened Democrats bow to voters opting for total war on Trump. Okay, well, let's just first start with they haven't opted for total war on Trump. They have been pushing for total war on Trump. They've been waging total war on Trump since he won the election. This is not a choice that has been made today, although I I like how it's been recast now as, you know, they were they were thinking about being very reasonable. They wanted to work with the Republicans. They might have even tried to push Donald Trump towards the center. But he's just so bad, and the Hitler comparisons just free so or flow so freely um, that they had to do something. They had to come together and do everything in their power to oppose him. They're saying now at these town halls, and we'll talk a bit more about some of these town halls in a few minutes. Uh, they're saying that at these town halls, the Democrats have come under considerable heat. And they have decided that as a result of that, they're going to go after Trump. Um, So looking at uh, the way this is going to play out, of course, you can see now that they have to have this narrative because I think there's a recognition that they have gone to this place right away. So now they're going to rewrite history. They're not going to allow their this makes the base feel better, the Democrat base. They don't want to allow them to come to the conclusion or, or to be reminded, probably a better way to put it, they don't want them to be reminded that they opposed Trump with everything they had from day one right away, that there was no willingness to see how it went. There was no willingness to give this president a few days in office. And we all know that this is the case. But already the rewriting of history in, in Soviet-like fashion is occurring, that it's because these Democrats— have gone home and gotten so much heat from their constituents. That's why they are going to have a problem with Trump. That's why they are going to, as it says here, total war. They are declaring total war on the administration, the most widely read and influential newspaper for the Democrat Party in this country is saying it. I'm not choosing these words. I'm not trying to get people all fired up over Nothing. This is what they are telling us. And we can see how this is going to play out, by the way, because they're not in a position and they even say this in the article. They're not in a position to stop this presidency using the means of traditional government power afforded to them based on their electoral position. You see, 
There will be a big false equivalency that is drawn time and again when it comes to opposing the Trump administration by Democrats. They have tried to stop him and will continue to try to stop him, not from doing things that exceed his authority, but from doing things that are squarely within his discretion and authority. That's the key difference. You'll see this as well with people when they would try to compare Obama executive orders to Bush executive orders in terms of the overall number. The overall number does not matter. Right? It doesn't matter. I can write 100 pages with nothing but one word repeated on them. That's not going to be as meaningful as one page of actual writing. And executive orders can be, we're going to close the Navy mess for the day in the White House early, or it can be, I'm going to give legal status to three or five million people in this country who are here illegally. Those are, those are not both, oh, well, they're just both an executive order. We don't count them that way. We don't consider them that way. And they already have a problem with that, of course. But when you look at the way the Democrats are going to try and frame this debate, better way to put it, when you look at how they're going to line up for battle against the Republicans and what they're going to choose to do, I mean these Democrats who are in elected office and all of the wings, whether stealth, cloaked wings of the Democrat Party or ones that are out in the open, but the stealth wings would be most of the media. And as we're finding out, and I want to hit this more because I'm a former federal bureaucrat myself. I understand that game quite well. Um, but as we see them lining up for, as they put it, total war on Trump, total war on Trump. That's what they're saying. Let's be clear that under Obama, Republican opposition or the staunchest opposition he faced in terms of his executive authority came to issues or, or things that he was doing that had not been recognized as presidential prerogative before. Here's an analogy. Republicans under Obama were trying to tell somebody, let's say they were dealing with somebody who a fireman worked in the fire department. Well, if a fireman wants to perform open heart surgery... While that may be a very nice and noble idea, you probably don't want your fireman to do that. You want a heart surgeon. You want a cardiovascular surgeon to do that. But if a fireman wants to go and put out a fire and you stop him, you're obstructing him in the course of his duties. That's very serious. The Democrats aren't saying that they're just going to oppose President Trump on things where they believe he has exceeded his authority or it's unconstitutional. What we see from... The leaks inside the intelligence apparatus and different parts of government, including the EPA, lobbying against a cabinet pick as if that's part of their job and they're supposed to do that. Highly inappropriate. We see the bureaucracy playing the game dirty. And the bureaucracy is now the firemen that or rather the bureaucracy is getting in between the firemen and the fire saying, well, no, you can't do that. And when we point out that that's not the way this is supposed to go. They say, well, you were doing this before. No, we were stopping the fireman from going outside of his purview and doing things he's not supposed to do. They want to just stop the president from being the president. They're not just saying they're not trying to say that there are limitations and constitutional constraints. They are undermining him. They're already calling for his impeachment. In fact, they're already trying to get to a place where they can call for the impeachment of a president who 
I can't tell which it's going to be on any given day. Are they going to impeach him because of what he's done, or are they going to tell us the next day that he hasn't done anything yet, so he's a bad president? It seems like they say both at the same time with no sense of irony and no sense of how completely and utterly lacking in principle much, not all. I know that Trump's doing some things that aren't great. I know that Trump is actually not conservative on a number of issues. They don't care about that, though, of course. They hate him. It's more than just the policies. It's more than just the administration. It's cultural. It's ideological. It's deep-seated in them. Trump bothers them. He's a threat to their view of self. He's a threat to their view of their place in the world and their elite status. And in many ways, they consider him to be a turncoat. He's a traitor to his class. He's a multi-billionaire. He's supposed to want to hang out with, you know, Stephanopoulos and Jay-Z and Nantucket. You know, he's supposed to be cool and part of the left, a Democrat, because he's worth billions of dollars. Isn't this the fun secret that Republicans are the party of the fat cats and the rich? Meanwhile, most of the wealthy districts in this country went for Hillary. And I could sit here and rattle off lots of billionaires that are very active in the Democrat Party. And I promise you, you'd have a much harder time doing the same on the Republican side. But I digress. I want to get more into this because I haven't even been able to give you the news of the day details on the latest roadblocks from the bureaucracy that Donald Trump is facing. But I just want you to keep in mind, they're trying to stop this president, not from exceeding his authority, but from using the constitutional authority that he clearly has. That's a very important difference, and it's a dangerous difference. They are unprincipled in this. They have lost it. They are declaring total war. I've told you before, you might want to hop into the trench with me because there's not going to be a whole lot of options. 844-900-2825. Buck Sexton with America Now continues right after this break. Welcome back, Team Buck. 844-900-2825 on the phone lines. Jim in Virginia, WPTI. What's up, Jim? Hello. Hello. Mr. Sexton, wonderful to talk to you this evening. reason I wanted to, to let you know is that uh, my son, during the election, uh, he's 13, he'll be 14 in, uh, in May, and he was uh was a Trump man uh, way before I was because I went for Cruz, but uh, when, me too, man. Your son, your son was ahead of both of us on that. Just for the record, so he's got good political instincts. He sure does. Well, the the thing is, he he likes to know the issues instead of being ruled by his emotions. He likes to have his facts. Well, this uh, you know his civic speech is fairly conservative, but the other one said uh, after he had worn his Trump pants shirt and all this stuff, he and then he won. My son said uh, my son was accosted by this teacher saying, well, you're, you aren't going to be gloating after the election. And my son says, why? My, my guy won. I, uh, and she says, why would you call me a civic, the liberal civics teacher? He says, because you're liberal. And it's because of guys like you uh, that it helped me to inform my son, uh, you know, just excited that you're on PTI now. And and I really appreciate you know you know you sitting in for El Rushbo and now that now that we get to hear your show in the evening it's outstanding. Thank and you so much, Jim. I appreciate that, and and I hope I hope your son. I mean, we always do family friendly content here, so uh, you know I hope your son can listen to the podcast or or, or live show when he gets a chance too. Uh, thirteen thirteen is certainly not too too early to start getting talk radio going. I I, I was listening very young. 
Right on. Right on. Thank you so right on, much. Brother. Shields high, Jim. Thank you for calling in. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about something that I, I mentioned before, and I want to play this for you. Uh, you have Keith Ellison, a, a Democrat congressman. He's getting a lot of attention these days. And he had the following to say about Donald Trump. Please play the clip. I think that uh, he, Donald Trump has already done a number of things which legitimately raised the question of impeachment. I mean, on day one, he was... I want to hear this. What, what, one, what raises... Uh, he, vi- he was in violation of the Emoluments Clause. This is a pr- part of the Constitution that says, as a, uh, the president, you can't get payments from a foreign power. The day people checked into his hotel and started paying him, who were, from, who were foreign dignities, dignitaries, he was in <clears> violation <throat> of that law. There's already a lawsuit filed against him. And right now, we have got, it's not about only Donald Trump. It is about the integrity of the presidency. So, yeah, I think that we need to begin investigations to not go after Donald Trump, but to protect our Constitution and the presidency. First of all, if, if we can for a moment, let's just, let's just have a little fun here and get into the logic of what Congressman, uh, Congressman Ellison has to say here. He's citing the Emoluments Clause, which is only slightly less annoying than when people cite the Logan Act, which they all only know about because a few journalists spoke to a few people with law degrees who figured that, hey, this is the way that we can justify uh, a leak of Michael Flynn's phone call because maybe he's violating the Logan Act, which is a law that's never been... You know, if we want to play this game, there's still laws on the books. You can go, I think there are even websites that are dedicated to this that say... You know, in Connecticut, you can't kiss your wife on the cheek on Sunday and, you know, stuff like that. Um, so, you know, there's there's plenty of stuff out there that we all and people say, oh, Buck, but then you say immigration should be enforced. Well, <laughs> I'm talking about laws that have a, you know, that have like a, a fine of, of 25 cents or something if you don't do it. If those are on the books in places. Blue laws are on the books in some places. Some sometimes they're still enforced. Sometimes they're ignored. But those are municipal ordinances. Those aren't criminal statutes. There's a big difference. Uh, so anyway, but the emoluments clause. So by the logic that Mr. Ellison raises here for why Trump should be impeached, that by the way, that he thinks that they're going to have what the Congress will impeach a president under a clause in the Constitution, the legality of which very few Americans know or understand and very few lawyers would agree on. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea, though. Let's all sit around and and uh, and hope that they're going to get rid of uh, Donald Trump, because what? Someone checked into a hotel. So you can't have foreign business interests of any kind and run for president. You, you, you couldn't do that. That would be impossible. If you were the CEO of Apple Computers and you were selling, uh, you were selling Apple Computers in foreign, or you know, if you were the former CEO, you're selling Apple Computer in foreign countries, the moment somebody buys one, wouldn't you then be in violation of the Emoluments Clause? It's saying you can't get paid by foreign governments. It's not saying that, you can't have products that are part of your business that are being sold in foreign countries. I mean, obviously, he can't be running the business anymore, but that's isn't that what's already happened? He's divested himself from running the Trump companies. So, again, it's just all so petty and endless. One day, it's the White House is in disarray. And I, when I mean one day, I don't mean one day way back when. I mean one day this week, the White House is in disarray, and the next day— uh, Trump is a fascist and this White House is destroying the First Amendment, which, by the way, would take a pretty uh, well-oiled machine in the White House, I would think. And all the people that take to social media to exp- uh, express how they believe that Trump is a fascist, worse than Hitler, as we have heard 
uh, from some because he has nuclear weapons. At least Hitler didn't have nuclear weapons. They take to social media and they talk about how terrible Donald Trump is and they threaten his supporters and they say the most heinous things imaginable about the president and his family, all under the banner of, well, he's so terrible that we have no free speech rights. They don't see any contradiction in this whatsoever. I've got to be honest. If you were living in North Korea and you were walking around mocking the dear leader and writing about how he is a moron and the worst and a sexual deviant and all. And, and by the way, you'd be you'd be right. But that's North Korea. Um, you wouldn't last very long because that's true tyranny. And in this country, we have people that are all wound up about Donald Trump and tyranny. Meanwhile, Barack Obama was having the Department of Justice. Eric Holder, who reports directly to Barack Obama, signed off on this himself. This is not a theory. This is fact that they would do phone taps of journalists in order to find confidential sources. That's something that had never been done before. And you didn't hear the media get so upset. There were some here and there who were like, you know, I, I like to have some shred of principle. It's hard for me to be a complete and utter fraud. So maybe I'll get a bit upset when Obama vastly exceeds precedent and uh, and his promise to the American people to be very transparent and open and protect the First Amendment. All of that was a big, funny, ha-ha joke, I guess. Um, but only when Trump is now in office do we hear about all of this. And it's very hard to get as energized about these issues as a normal, rational person who tries to see everything for what it is, not as an extension of groupthink, not as part of, well, I want to be considered one of the cool, smart people, therefore I take the following position, which I think motivates a vast majority of the anti-Trump hatred that's out there. Because if you were to go down the issues, issue by issue, what, he's he's too harsh on illegal immigrants? Obama deported a lot of illegal immigrants. Didn't hear much about it, by the way. He's too hard on radical Islam? Obama was droning people left and right and made jokes about it. It was under the Obama administration, I should point out to you all, that a U.S. citizen without trial was droned in a foreign country. And they didn't even want to talk about it. They hid it from us as though it was classified. It was written about in all these newspapers. Then finally the administration came clean. I'm not even sure if they've completely admitted to the whole situation yet. It's been written about in every major newspaper. So droning U.S. citizens without trial. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't have necessarily made the same choice. I'm just saying don't pretend that you're some big champion of civil liberties and don't now tell me that a few weeks into trump's presidency trump hasn't droned any u.s citizen without trial hasn't happened yet so all these cries of fascism and this rallying for the all-out war against the trump administration from the left is just an extension of the childish mindset that has been allowed to fester among progressives for eight long years Buck Sexton with America Now, where there's always something to talk about, where you can trade opinions with Buck. Not sure you'll win, though. Just call 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, Buck, you're on. All right, team, welcome back. Phones are open. If you want to call in, 844-900-2825. Would love to hear from you. We've got former Navy SEAL, Carl Higby joining us now. He's a Trump supporter and a poli- wait what? Oh, we're sorry. He's he's about to join us. I thought I thought we had him. Um, 
Speaking of which, I've been dealing with technology all day today. I, I had to do some upgrade on my iPhone and fix my laptop and all. And I get so grumpy. And I think my, whatever my age is, when I've had to deal with my technological lack of, of skills, um, my, my age, it's like you add 30 years and I'm super grumpy. And I just want to throw my shoe uh, across my lawn at the kids who are playing, you know, street hockey too loud or something. I don't know. I just I just get mad. Do we have uh, do we have Carl here? Oh, we do. Okay, great. Uh, we got Carl Higby joining us now. Former Navy SEAL, Trump supporter, political commentator, author of Enemies, Foreign and Domestic, a SEAL's Story. Carl, thank you for calling in. Well, thanks, Buck. Thanks for having me. So let's start with these town halls. Um, by the way, there was one town hall moment that I thought was amazing that it got all of this uh, coverage. You had a seven-year-old at a at a Senator Tom Cotton town hall said the following. Play it, please. Uh, it is PBS Overwall. Mexicans n not important to people who are in Arkansas who like Mexicans, like me, my grandma, and all my people. <laughs> Does anyone? Does, okay, so this got a lot of play, uh, Carl, because you got a seven-year-old kid who's talking about the defunding of public broadcasting kids' show uh, and the building of a wall at the southern border. I don't think he figured this out from reading the front page of the journal. I, I really don't. I feel like maybe this was planted by an adult, and now they're using seven-year-old kids to score political points when they know there's media around. Well, I don't know what world you live in, Buck, but, I mean, seven-year-olds through the new Common Core system are clearly better educated than you and I were when we were seven. I mean, this is this kid is up on his current events. This is the, I mean, if you can do Common Core event. math, by the way, you could run a space shuttle launch. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's amazing. You know, the thing is, it's like this is using your children as political pawns. And the, the propaganda that is going through right now against Trump and for Obama and all these things, is disgusting. When you start bringing seven-year-olds, this is like bringing, this is like using your kid in the middle of a divorce to turn against one parent. It's disgusting. It's disrespectful, and should absolutely be brought under scrutiny. Now, the stories, as uh, as I've been telling everybody here on air earlier on this hour, the story from this week, or from maybe from the last two weeks, to be fair to the media, it's gone from White House in disarray to Trump is a fascist, to he's deporting everybody, to actually he's not really deporting that many people, to, whoa, I guess Obama deported people too, to now the bureaucracy's rising up against him again on executive order. Uh, d does, does anyone feel like at some point they could just tell us what the administration's actually doing instead of telling us what they're afraid, that what these journalists are afraid Trump will do at some point? Or uh, I think I'm asking for too much. Uh, yeah. Buck, you are clearly asking for way too much. I mean, Donald Trump ran a very, very simple and very straightforward campaign. And guess what? He's doing exactly what he said during the campaign. And the issue is the thing with the wall and the deportations, the reason he's able to do it right now is because guess what? Like the wall, take the wall, for instance, both Hillary and Bill Clinton advocated for it. Hillary and Barack Obama, then Senator Barack Obama voted for it in the Senate. So it is, it is authorized 
and it is the duty of the President of the United States to faithfully execute the laws as passed by Congress. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is why he can build this wall. Yeah, but I, I think that they, and I mentioned this as well before before we had you come on, Carl, it's it's very different from what we saw under the Obama administration. The Democrats will be happy, and I don't just mean elected Democrats, I mean Democrats in government who work for federal agencies who are supposed to be a part of the executive branch. They're supposed to be part of the the well-oiled machine, which we know is not really true, but they're supposed to be part of, the fu- of a functioning federal bureaucracy, and they're finding ways to lash out, to slow things down, and to cause trouble. I think within the EPA we'll have more trouble. We've already had trouble from the DOJ. And to me, they're just trying to stop the president from doing what a president is supposed to do because they don't like it. Right. And I can relate to this firsthand, Buck. I wrote my first book on active duty. It was critical of President Obama. I didn't take action against him. I actually expressly stated in the book, he is my commander-in-chief and I will obey his lawful orders. That said, I disagree with policy X, Y, and Z. And they hammered me. I went through a four-year lawsuit just over that. Imagine if I had actually acted against the U.S. military or the president of the United States. I mean, this is what they're doing right now. And it is, it's not only crippling the United States of America, but it's crippling progress. I mean, Donald Trump has displayed his ability to create progress and accomplish things. These people are putting, they're stopping that. They're trying to stifle his his progress so they can run against it in three and a half years. And Trump is saying things on immigration that you would think might quiet some of, I know a lot of the critics are hate him no matter what, but maybe some of them would see, okay, he's not, he's, he's not going to eliminate DACA, at least not right now. He understands their sensitivities around that. He has expressed sympathy for those kids, but he doesn't have sympathy for criminal, illegal aliens, gang members, uh, murderers, rapists. And he's mentioned this. In fact, let's play some of the audio on Trump gang members, please. See what's happening at the border. All of a sudden, for the first time, we're getting gang members out. We're getting drug lords out. We're getting really bad dudes out of this country and at a rate that nobody's ever seen before. And they're the bad ones. And it's a military operation because uh, what has been allowed to come into our country, when you see gang violence that you've read about like never before and all of the things, much of that is people that are here illegally. And they're rough and they're tough, but they're not tough like our people. So we're getting them out. Well, what's the problem with that, Carl? Because there are people that have problems, even with the recent wave of deportations that did target predominantly, even by the L.A. Times, the Washington Post, their own analysis and reporting, people who are real criminals, who are threats to public safety. But there's still this. Then, then you have articles on page, you know, uh, on, just below the fold on how illegal aliens are crossed. Or no. Pardon me. Immigrants. They just say immigrants. They don't even say legal aliens, of course. They don't even say undocumented until three paragraphs into the story how they're uh, under a self-imposed house arrest. I read that today because they're all so terrified. Yeah. Well, this is like the woman also who locked herself in a church because she believed religious freedom uh, would supersede her deportation order. I mean, this is the the propaganda, again, from the left is like is uncanny. Now, he said that I know the left is up in arms over his military operation comment. Which Spicer then, you know, walked back a little bit, saying that it, he meant military precision. But I don't really care whether he, he, you know, he uses the term military, that he uses the National Guard, he uses law enforcement. I don't care. I don't want these bad hombres in my country because it doesn't help our country progress. Everything he does has the bottom line of how to make America safer. I think there are a lot of people that don't know who criticize all of these orders. The National Guard has, in in previous recent administrations 
been sent to help out at the southern border. Uh, they weren't necessarily the first line, uh, first line arre- um, arresting authority, but they were doing surveillance and assistance and logistics and helping to catch illegal crossers, uh, illegal uh, illegal crossings. So that's not even a crazy idea based on what administrations before Trump has done. But now it's always it's always supposed to conjure up this fear of a 1984 like. Uh, Orwellian world where U.S. military are kicking in doors in Los Angeles and and splitting up families in the, in the dead of night and this is what this is what the mainstream papers are all saying. So I can understand that those who believe what they're reading in these big papers with their fancy uh, fancy banners and large circulation uh, that this is what they think is going to happen. It's really damaging though uh, for this for this to be the place the debate's going. Yeah, and the, the left has succeeded in making this a culture of unaccountability, and through these publications, they're, they're victimizing the people who are breaking the laws, and people like you and I are being made out to be the racists and the bigots and the homophobes and the heartless and mindless because we want to, God forbid, send somebody back to a country they came from when they came here illegally. Like, illegally is the key word there. Like, I, I don't know how much simpler this could be, Buck. Now, the national security team that Trump has put together, that stopped the story of a national national security novices and, and you know, the National Security Council in disarray. Flynn asked to step down. He did. McMaster is a fantastic choice, even by even the most progressive lefty, you know, code pink Democrat is like, yeah, big master. He's a smart guy. So at least that's quieted that down. But when do you think we'll start to see some action on national security or at least some specifics in the discussion of Trump administration's strategy vis-a-vis the major hotspots, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, and also uh, combating Islamic terrorism? Is that going to be soon or is that going to take some months? Uh, Well, here's the thing is he did release that memorandum to give him a plan in 30 days. But I will say do not expect him to release a plan on how he's going to do this. Just expect him to start doing stuff, and you're going to find out once it's done. Because he ran on that. He doesn't want to give any way, give anything away to the enemy. So, I mean, I mean, this this administration with the, the politicos and the, the left is still stuck around in there is leaking like a sieve. But once Trump squares that away, don't expect to know a lot about this stuff until after it's already happened. Now, uh, Carl, I, I want to talk to you about problems facing veterans, but I, we're going to run into a break here. Can you stay through the break? Do you have a couple minutes to just hit this yeah, on the other side? Absolutely. All right, great. We've got Carl Habe, former Navy SEAL uh, and a Trump supporter and commentator. He's going to join us on the other side to talk about some of the very real, very uh, serious and, and tragic problems that are facing our veterans today. So stay with us. We'll hit it on the other side of the break. Okay, everybody, we're back, and uh, great to have you here with me in the Freedom Hut. Our friend Carl Higby is the guest. He's a former Navy SEAL and author of Enemies, Foreign and Domestic, a SEAL's story. Uh, Carl, wanted to ask you about some of the problems, some of the challenges facing our veterans, I know this is an issue near and dear to your heart, um, and you're worried about a, a common VA practice that you think leads to some of these very serious problems, including uh, suicides. Tell me about what's going on here. Yeah, so, uh, you know, this is something obviously I'm very passionate about, Buck. You understand it's very close to your heart, too. But veterans are, you know, like in 2014, 7,400 vets took their own lives. They killed themselves. Seventy percent of those were using VA services most of which were on heavy medications. And there's like, you know, there's a million examples of these, but there's a guy, Scott McDonald, Jason Skimowski. These guys were on potent cocktails of VA prescribed medication that absolutely killed them. Like the autopsy said, these medications had a deadly interaction and they killed them. I mean, this has been 
gone over time and time again in congressional inquiries. And the new VA secretary has a big responsibility to stop this. I want to ask what the Trump administration with the new VA secretary can do here. What what are the steps you think that they should take? Well, you know, there's a very simple solution to this. There's a, there's a, something that's inside the VA right now that's already approved for use, and the VA is using it. They're just not applying it. There's a genetic test that they can do. It's like a Q-tip. They swab the inside of your mouth, they test it, and it gives you them gives you the genetic code of the veteran. They can proper using that genetic code, they properly prescribe you the right medications. There's a company out there. It's called Advanced Genomic Solutions. They will they will. They're not the ones that are in the VA, but they will mail any veteran a, a test for free, and that veteran can take it to the VA. The doctor will administer the test, and it won't cost them a dime. It's covered through the VA and everything. And you can go to their website. It's ags-health.com slash veterans. How did, how did you come upon this? I'll be honest with you, Carl. I've, I've never heard of this company or, or even this test. That's the thing. The VA has tested over 500,000 veterans to date. But they never give the veterans back their uh, their analysis. What AGS does, Advanced Genomic Solutions, they actually have an app that you can download on your phone, type in the medication, and it will tell the veteran right there if it's the right or wrong medication based on their genetic code. It, I mean, it's like the fact that you've never heard of it is the same reason that many, many other veterans haven't heard of it is because the VA does not want this to get out because they're so heavily endowed by the, the uh, pharmaceutical lobbyists. I was about to ask you, is this, is this a big pharma problem? Is this the, the, uh, the unholy alliance between government entities and corporations? Is that really what's going on? Absolutely. And you know what it is? It is literally the, the fact that the VA is not using this test. That the v, Shulkin could come in tomorrow and say, before you prescribe a medication, you have to administer this test, this genetic test. And if you're a veteran, ask for the test, and they have to give it to you because it's already there. And it doesn't cost you anything. It's already paid for by the VA. The pharmaceutical companies are squashing it, though. All right. I mean, so people can go and check this out. And I, I assume you're going to be pushing hard, given your contacts in the Trump administration. Uh, you should be able to get, Carl, uh, I, would, I would imagine, uh, access to the VA secretary and, and get this in front of him. Is that, am, am I, is that pie in the sky or you think that might happen? That's the plan. I, I intend to because it's an easy way to start saving, you know, as much as five to 6,000 veterans' lives a year based on this. And like I said, you can go to ags-health.com slash veterans, and they're, they're, they're going to send you a test for free. And you can get it for your brother, your sister, your, any veteran you know, get it for them. Carl Higby is a former Navy SEAL. He's a Trump supporter and political commentator, author of Enemies Foreign and Domestic. You can go to carlhigby.com for more. Carl, appreciate you staying with us, and uh, thank you for your service and your time, sir. Buck, thank you, as always. Absolutely. absolutely. Talk to you soon. All right, Team Buck, phone lines are open. We can take a call or two before we go into the break. We've got uh, Josh in Ohio. What's up, Josh? Hey, Buck. Hey, Buck. I was calling about the uh, immigration, how you guys are talking about, you know, with the deportation. Um, I'm all for deporting those who are criminals, those who have broken the law, but I don't believe deportation alone will solve anything because they found a way into this country once. And some of them have found their way into this country more than once. 
Right. The individual who ended up uh, killing Kate Steinle in San Francisco had already been deported, I believe, five times. Now, but this is this then brings up, Josh, not that deportation isn't effective. It's that deportation alone is not a policy. Deportation is one tool in what has to be a much bigger toolkit of uh, interior enforcement, which includes visa overstays, workplace enforcement, which includes E-Verify. Uh, any, there's a whole host of different ways that you have to come at the immigration issue on the enforcement side so that deportations are final. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, and of course, securing the southern border and a wall. I mean, that, that's you know, very high on the list, too. So you have to put these things in place or else you could have returnees after deportation. And, and think of how discouraging that would have to be for ICE officers. You know, if it was if it's easy for somebody to come back after being deported, clearly there are huge holes in the system. And that and the other thing is, you know, it kind of lends credence to Trump's other immigration policy, uh, his travel ban. You know, that is into Well, that's a perfect segue, my friend Josh, because I'm going to talk about the travel ban and the latest updates on it right after we come back. Josh in Ohio, Shields High, man. Thank you very much for calling in. Everybody listening also, please do note that we are on iTunes now as well as iHeart, uh, the iHeart Media app, uh, iHeart Radio app, rather. You can download the show at either one. You can subscribe on iTunes, and then you are locked in. You'll get the show every day for free. If you miss part of it, you can catch up on it. And if you want to share it with friends or listen to it later on, if you can't listen live, just type in Buck Sexton in iTunes or Buck Sexton on the iHeartRadio app, and it'll pop up. we got much more coming. Stay with me. The things that matter most in your day-to-day life are too important to trust to just anyone. That's, that's, why. that's why he's here. Buck Sexton with America Now. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Thank you so much for being with me. Great to have you as always. Uh, Phones are open, 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK, B-U-C-K. So the travel ban, I wanted to get into this a little bit. I was alluding earlier in the show to the bureaucracy's objections to the Trump administration, objections that they're not supposed to have. If, if you don't want to work for the federal government, you don't have to. Just leave. Just resign. But because you don't like the commander-in-chief doesn't mean that you can refuse to do your job or intentionally uh, cause problems to slow things down, make things more difficult for the administration. Now, we haven't seen much of that happening, but we have, well, we've seen some of it. You had the acting attorney general, Sally Yates, who she didn't, she could have just resigned. No, she directly contradicted the president while serving in the executive branch, and she had to be fired. She also was involved, and we don't know the full details yet. This is part of what I want to find out from the investigation. So many people are focused, so many people want to look into Trump's Russia ties. And I, I understand that. I, I get that they want, just give them something to hang their hat on for Donald Trump is a traitor, he's a sellout to Russia. People who have never thought much about Russia before in their lives certainly have no familiarity with the Russian intelligence services, have no familiarity with the Kremlin or the Duma or how any of this operates, Vladimir Putin, where he comes from. Now they're all Russia experts. Now all of a sudden... 
they're uh, they're they're brushing up their their Russian uh, their Russian dictionary so that they can come out there and sound like they know what's going on with the Trump administration on this. But fine, investigate, look at the ties, do whatever you think you have to do in order to get to the bottom of this because they're going to do it anyway. So saying don't do it doesn't really have any effect one way or the other. I think that it would be the only way that we could put this to bed finally and we can stop hearing about how Trump is a traitor. Do I think it's possible that one of his former senior advisors was involved with not just shady uh, dealings, but perhaps illegal? Yeah, of course. I think I think that's possible. I, I don't know, um, but it's possible. Do I think that there's a special that that Trump carries around a burner cell phone that only Vladimir Putin has access to, and he's like, well, Trump, uh, you have to do the thing where you uh, destroy your country, you sell them out, and make it very uh, hard for them to uh, understand what you're doing. No, I don't think that's happening at all. Again, my Russian is sounding so Count Chocula these days. I've got to work on that. Um, nonetheless, hello, Count Chocula. Uh, is that what Chocula even sounds like? Maybe I'm just doing a bad Dracula impression. I think that I'm doing Count Chocula. I, I never ate that cereal, by the way. I was never much of a cereal person. And now I'm a celiac, so there's a lot of cereals that I can't eat. It's all wheat-based. So, where were we? Oh, yeah, that's right. I want to know what the connections were between Sally Yates and those who were releasing it. If there were any connections, Sally Yates and those who were leaking information to the press about the classified phone call that occurred between Trump and the, I'm sorry, between Flynn and the Russian ambassador, as well as the phone call between Trump and the Mexican uh, Mexican officials. Uh, keep in mind that that's what I mean by trying to, trying to step outside their lane. That's not playing by the rules. That's not doing your job. That's my politics matter more than the executive branches, um, the executive branch's obligations to the American people. My judgment on political matters matters more than what the United States uh, duly elected president thinks about any given issue and his decisions on that issue. So I do have to say, I, 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 find, it, uh, I find it pretty pretty annoying to see this happening. We also have, and I, I, I asked him to come on on Twitter um, I asked him to come on uh, to come on the show tonight, and I, I will let you know that there are some people in media, and I'm not sure that he. Well, I think he is trying to start a media career, which is why he wrote for the Washington Post that he quit the CIA because of um, because of Trump. But you have Washington Post adds clarification, noting that Ned Price is Clinton donor. Uh, and this is in response to the piece Ned Price political contributions to. Do- I'm sorry. This is in response to his piece that he uh, that career CIA analyst Ned Price quits rather than serve Trump. That's on NPR. Here's the funny thing about this. I know Ned. We haven't spoken in a little while, but we knew each other. And uh, I could have told you a long time ago that he's a Democrat. And so that's that's not surprising to me at all. And I, I totally am fine with somebody like me. Look, I came out of the CIA and became a conservative radio host, political commentator, whatever whatever else that I am. Uh, but I didn't do any of that stuff when I was inside the government. I, I left. I was no longer getting a federal government paycheck when I did it. Now, let, Ned uh, left. He wrote a piece the Washington Post after leaving. 
He had, I believe, worked uh, with uh, with Ben Rhodes, who is the Deputy National Security Advisor for Strategic Communications, um, in the White House. So, I mean, he had been uh, somebody who was involved with the Obama administration. But anyway, I, I know Ned, and Ned is a nice guy. But here he's gotten caught in an interesting position because he says that he quit. I'm just reading to you from from the NPR website here. Career CIA analyst Ned Price quits rather than serve Trump. Uh, well, he already, it seems, I mean, he's already a Democrat. I, I don't know why this is so surprising to people. And plenty of people leave the intelligence community. And they held this up like he was a whistleblower. When he's given money to Hillary and the DNC, that's a matter of public record, and that comes out. So the Washington Post had to add a clarification um, that Ned Price is a, uh, he was an Obama aide. Uh, here's what it says. Obama aide quit under Trump, said decision was not about politics. So he gave $5,000 to Hillary Clinton's effort. Well, that's a lot for a government employee. Uh, $5,000 for a uh, Hillary Clinton's failed effort to defeat Donald Trump. And the clarification the Post had to, had to add in here is that this column should have included a disclosure of donations made by author Edward Price in support of 2016 presidential nominee Hillary Clinton. In August, Price gave a total of $5,000 to the Clinton campaign and the Democratic Party. Um, so, okay, so the guy's a Democrat. Yeah, sorry, he was working as an assistant to Deputy National Security Advisor Ben Rhodes. So Ned, whom I know and is a nice guy, but is a, just a lefty Democrat, which is, you know, you're allowed to be. That's cool, whatever. But it's funny. I know Ned. I know some, some of the other people that are, that are popping out of the intelligence community these days and going on to media. It's like all of, it's all of Buck's old uh, drinking gang from D.C. Well, I'm going to try to get some of them on the show, even the Democrats, because uh, we're, we're friends. I want to hear what they have to say. I, I don't. I, see, we don't do what they do. And this is always, and I, I don't mean they as in my friends, but I, we don't do what the Democrats do in general, which is decide that we can't be friends, we can't be civil to people who have different politics from us. That's just not. That's just not how we roll as conservatives. That's not what we do. It's not how. That's not certainly not how I do things. I got plenty of left. It's fun. Lefty friends. They hang out. They get a couple of drinks. They start talking about how Bernie Sanders is so great. You point out that Bernie Sanders is is, is a socialist who has three houses. So in that sense, I guess he's a he's a great sort of Soviet-style socialist or Venezuelan socialist party leader. You know, they do fine. It's everybody else that has a really rough time. So Sanders, yeah, three houses. Um, but Ned Ned quits. He leaves the CIA, and they all seize on this because they're hoping this is an example of the nonpartisan intelligence officer who just wants to serve his country but can't under Trump. Ned is a Ned is a smart guy. I, I I would I do not trash people who are my friends, and I would not pretend I haven't seen the guy or talked to him in a very long time. Um, but uh, you know Ned Ned's a nice dude. Uh, but here they ran they ran with this story, and they ran with this story, and they're now uh, having to backtrack a little bit because well, here they are pointing out that he gave a lot of money to Democrats. So this is the, supposed to be a moment of oh see you can't be your career intelligence officer you have to leave because of trump the media runs the washington post column oh it's all so good but uh, no you're a partisan which is fine i'm a partisan people you're allowed to be partisan but let's just not pretend that the it was the professional uh, the insult to your professional integrity that forced you to leave does anyone think that i wanted to be writing for the president's daily brief for obama uh, does anyone think that uh no 
I, I was not thrilled about that prospect. I did not think that Obama was the genius that so many others, based on what evidence I don't know, thought that he was. Skilled politician, but that's not the same thing as being a genius. Geniuses have gifts and abilities that other people don't have and can do things that other people can't do. I can read off a teleprompter really well, too. That does not make you a genius, but I digress. Uh, so anyway, Price, I just want to throw that out. I, I asked him to come on the show tonight, and maybe maybe he'll join. Um, I asked him to uh, to come on. I don't know if he will or not. He probably has got a. He's probably working on a contract with MSNBC right now. Will never talk to me again. Uh, but anyway, uh, where was I on all this? Oh yeah, the bureaucracy. Now they're also saying that they feel like there's a politicization going on because the Trump administration is trying to push people into giving them evidence that. Uh, the seven countries under the travel order that were banned are bad, dangerous countries from a terrorism perspective. When you're talking about Yemen and Somalia and Sudan and Iraq and Syria, and this doesn't strike me as a very hard case to make, but already people from within the bureaucracy remember stopping a president from doing what he should be able to do, not exceeding his authority, just stopping him from doing what is within his authority. Uh they're having objections to this. They're already leaking out to different news sources that they have a problem here. So let me give you a little more of the details of that on the other side of the break, and then we've got a whole lot more show for you on all kinds of stuff. 844-900-2825. Team Buck, we will be right back. All right, Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you. Really appreciate it. And uh, I feel like I'm managing to fix my phone and my computer after and my iPad and I just I, I decided today that I was going to tackle all those problems and I it just is so frustrating I wish I was good at the technology stuff but I was never good at even programming the VCR back in the day so and I know VCRs a thing that people used to have that they don't they don't really have anymore not even CDs I remember when I had a, a whole case of my CDs the treasured possession of my CDs now I don't, I don't even know what you'd use them for, like little mini Frisbees or something. J.D. in California on KFNY. You're on the Buck Sexton Show, sir. What is up? Hey, Buck. Uh, what I was going to talk about was the security leaks. Yes, sir. And uh, and they talked about it on Limbaugh today and uh, Jay Seculow on, on Hannity's show. With McMaster, General McMaster in there now, uh, and he's going to bring his people in. Uh, uh, Osama, he he, seventeen days before he got out, he said, "Okay, Obama, all these all these agencies are going to get all this raw data, where it used to be just the NSA, and then they doled it out where it needed to go. Why have not, why have not they rescinded that?" Uh, I don't know what you're. I don't know what specifically you're referring to about the, the wider. They might have increased sharing inside the IC. I don't know, but information sharing within the IC, if you have the proper clearance, has been a longstanding practice. So, you know, s- yeah, s- signal but, but signals exactly. intelligence that NSA gets doesn't, you know, doesn't just stay in NSA. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Though, they they determine where it needs to be go to. Okay, in other words. Okay, this agency could use it, and this agency can use it, and this agency can use it. But now, what Obama did—only 17 days before you—they why didn't he do it when he first came in office? 
okay, eight years ago. I don't, I don't. I have to look at this order you're talking. I don't know about this order. I'm not sure what it does, so I, I apologize for that. Uh, but I'll have to look at this one. Well, like I say, so now with General McMaster in there, and get his own people in there, they should bring all that data back to NSA and let them dole it out. And then they could say, okay, let's take this piece of the information and give it to these two agencies. Okay. If it's on the headlines of the New York Times the next day, they know where the leak is coming from. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of people that have access to classified information, uh, J.D. I, th- I think it might surprise you. I realize that. Yeah, I, I mean, a, a lot, like, not a, a lot as in a, a large number. <laughs> like, not a lot as in, like, you know, 15 people. Like, a big number of people have access to highly classified information. Uh, so... You know, that's I don't I, don't, I mean, if you're talking about sto- the problem is once you start limiting access, then you're stovepiping as that's the terminology they use in the IC. And if you stovepipe something that's actionable, especially when you're talking about threat reporting, uh, that's a big problem. So this information is going to get shared. You trust the people that have these clearances that especially when they have a, a clearance top secret and then with uh, with additions onto that TS clearance, uh, then you hope that they, and legally, they're bound to not disclose that, and people are disclosing. But J.D., Shields High out in California. Thank you for calling in. All right, speaking of the bureaucracy and all of the rest of what's going on with that, you have um, the Trump administration trying to build a case, uh, tries to build a case for why the countries that they have uh, specifically cited in this executive order are terrorism risks. And I got to say, this, this shouldn't be, uh, this shouldn't be controversial. Does anyone think that there's not, all you have to do is do a Google search, look in the, whatever newspaper you like to read, whatever website you get your news from, except for that website that allows you to pretend that Hillary Clinton won. That's a real website, by the way. It's just a website with fake news, actual fake news that everyone agrees is fake news, stories about what it would be like if Hillary Clinton had won the election. But White House effort to justify travel ban causes growing concern for some intelligence officials. This is the story up on CNN, which, of course, is central to the Trump opposition. And here's what it says. President Donald Trump has assigned the Department of Homeland Security working with the Justice Department to help build the legal case for its temporary travel ban on individuals from seven countries, a senior White House official tells CNN. Okay. Other Trump administration sources tell CNN that this is an assignment that has caused concern among some administration intelligence officials who see the White House charge as the politicization of intelligence the notion of a conclusion in search of evidence to support it after being blocked by the courts. First of all, the court's decision about whether these countries are dangerous or the fact that the court even weighed into the efficacy that the Ninth Circuit three judge panel thought that it was their call that we don't think that your national security decision is in the national security interest of the United States is from a legal perspective, laughable, although it's very serious because they are overriding the president. And when you look now at what they're trying to do with this revised order, which is going to come out, supposed to come out this week, it'll maybe come out um, in the next week or two, is that it's going to make sure that it's very tightly worded, as I understand it, 
and that it only goes after these seven countries because of the risk of terrorism. It's not a religious ban. It's not it's not an anti-Muslim ban. That's all that rhetoric will hopefully be disproven and cast aside by this order. But you've got intelligence community professionals who are going to CNN and telling them that uh, that this is unfair, that there's pressure on them to come to a certain conclusion. I would like to sit down with these intelligence officers, as a former CIA officer myself, I'd like to sit down with them and say, okay, so now you think it's hard to make the case for these countries as greater terrorism risks than other countries, and these are countries that the Obama administration Uh, singled out for increased scrutiny because of the terrorism risk. So that wasn't a problem for you. But now it's hard for you to come up with why Yemen, Iraq, Syria, Sudan, Somalia, why these are countries of uh, Iran of greater terrorism risk? Are, are, Are they serious? Is that really, they're having a hard time with that? Maybe they should just, you know, hire a couple of college interns who have access to Google And forget about the intelligence community on this one. Maybe that's what they're going to do. This is just nonsense. All right, we'll be back in just a few. Buck is back. Hey, everybody, Buck's back. It's more of America Now. Throw in your two cents. 1-844-900-BUCK. That's 1-844-900-2825. What's up, team? We're joined by our friend Emily Zanotti. She is the political editor at Heat Street. She's E.M. Zanotti on Twitter. Go to heatstreet.com to read her latest. What's up, Emily? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm all right. Are we taking you away from the riveting CPAC live stream to uh, do this radio show? Or were your eyes glued to the every word of, I don't know, whichever conservative luminary was up there on stage? I am so disappointed right now that I am not watching a bunch of people mill around in a ballroom. Just like, <laughs> the best part, the best part is watching the in between the speeches. What it's just like, yeah, hey, here we are. It's like CPAC. I mean, it's like uh, C-SPAN with more people. <laughs> you know, it's right, just, where everyone like runs out to go to the bathroom and then you can see them run back in. Yeah, you, know, you know, fun fun fact: I have only been to CPAC once, and it's when I was a private citizen, a CIA officer on my own time. So, you know. Whatever, maybe maybe Langley was infiltrating CPAC a little bit. Don't worry about that. Don't ask too many questions. But that's and I went with a bunch of my CIA, with a bunch of buddies of mine from uh, from inside the the community too. Uh, but I would say um, worth pointing out now uh, that CPAC seems to be going off without uh, too much of a of a hitch. Yeah, but I've never been as as yep. a media person, so there's that. I don't I don't know how that's happened, but I'm always busy. I've got radio shows to do. There's way better Wi-Fi if you're not there, I've found. Oh, I, I, w- I would agree. Um, and so anyway, may- maybe one year, maybe one year. I mean, we did have Matt Schlapp on radio yesterday, and I didn't want to be that guy who's like, yo, what's up, Matt? Um, so that whole, like, you know, Milo invite didn't work out real well. But you know what would work out is a little Buck Sexton love. I'm just putting it out right? there. Just putting it out to the universe. Side note, neither here yeah, nor there, you know? So I'm putting it out to you because that doesn't feel quite as shameless as if I invited Matt on the show and then I was like, uh, why don't you guys, you should guys, I, Buck Sexton on stage with like flames behind me, you know, like like right. I'm at a Kiss concert or something, like the sparks flying out on stage. Maybe, I, I don't even play electric guitar. Give me electric guitar. I'll make it work. 
It could all happen. We should start a Twitter campaign right now because the keynote speech is tomorrow night. If you could get down there. I think I think there's still time. You know, if we start a there's hashtag Buck Takes CPAC, I think I think it might get we might get some momentum. I, I'm just putting that out there. We we are a, a, a national show here. OK, side note. Fun, <laughs> fun to talk with us. So let, let's bring me up to speed, Emily, if you would, on the latest uh, musings over at Heat Street. Ryan's Priebus and Steve Bannon at CPAC, the media is the opposition party. I got no problem with that. I mean, I know we're technically right. in the media, but we know they're not talking to us. No, I am not Steve. Well, as far as I know, my face is not plastered in the middle of a dartboard in Steve Bannon's office. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm willing to bet on that. But they did say today in their joint panel, Ryan's Priebus and Steve Bannon, that the Democrats have actually not been the opposition party here in the first few weeks of the Trump administration, that it's really been the media, that the media has been running with stories that it can't verify, that it's constantly having to backtrack within 24 hours on things that they've said about the administration. And that really, Bannon was saying, and I agree, is that the media is really disappointed that Donald Trump won, and so they're going to do everything they possibly can to try to tank him here in the first few months. Yeah, they've said now in in the New York Times that they're declaring the Democrats, in response to their constituents, are declaring all-out war on the Trump administration. I think we've already been there. I think we've been at leftist DEFCON 1 from day one of this presidency. I'm not even sure we made it to day one of the presidency. I think we've been at DEFCON 1 since, like, November 10th. It's been, like, complete panic. I I almost had a a bunch of— uh, potty-mouthed protesters trample me on my way into my apartment here in New York City. I think it was two days after the election, and they were screaming curses and, you know, not my president and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just thought to myself, you know, guys, y- y- maybe focus on some other things for just just like 48 hours. Just just give it a rest for 48. 40- nope, nope. The, the, nope. Long, the long twilight struggle against Trump's uh, burgeoning fascism is something that must be waged constantly from the safety of mom and dad's basement when you're a grad student that has nothing else to do with your time, which is what I would guess a majority of the people that I saw at least protesting, they would fall into that category. Oh, wait, we've got some fun audio from Bannon. Uh, Can we play that? (laughs) Bannon saying some stuff about, well, the Trump administration and the media. Play it. They're corporatist, globalist media that are adamantly opposed, adamantly opposed to an economic nationalist agenda like Donald Trump has. Here's, the only re- here's why it's going to get worse, because he's going to continue to press his agenda. And as economic conditions get better, as more jobs get better, they're going to continue to fight. If you think they're going to give you your country back without a fight, you are sadly mistaken. Eh? Other than using yeah. the term economic nationalism or economic yeah. nationalist agenda, I'm like, we want to stay away from the nationalist thing, I think, as a general rule. But I don't know. Right. Maybe they're maybe they're trying to uh, embrace the term now in a way that it hasn't been able, you know, to, to change the term. Like suffragettes. the meaning of the Yeah, term like suffragettes was a pejorative, right. and then they're like, we'll be the suffragettes, and that's how they went with right. it. There are other things that that fall into that category too. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that Bannon's the whole media opposition thing, it's true. So why can't they say it? The, the media is the opposition yeah. party. So why is it so offensive to them? And it did sound to me a little like they feast off of the tears. 
they love every time these horrible stories come out or every time people in pink knitted hats hit the Washington Mall. They're just eating it up. And I think it's interesting that he's saying, enjoy it. This is crazy and it's going to get worse. And you may as well enjoy the ride while you're at it and keep fighting. I'm going to hand this one off to you because I don't want to be accused of cisgender mansplaining. Although, really, I think what I do in the Freedom Hut day in and day out could probably accurately be described as cisgender mansplaining. Now that I'm not even sure I know what cisgender means. I think I know what it means, but it's such a new term that I still wonder, am I using this properly? Cisgender is just, what is this? It's when you're, it's male and female are two different things, right? Right. It's if you still identify as the gender today that you were born with. So you weren't transgender or... Fluid gender. See, you're you're giving the definition that is the definition that people use. My definition is men and and women are still a thing that are different, and you can, so yeah. That's my version of the definition, but yes. So I cisgender mansplain. That's what I do here in the the Freedom Hut, and I wanted to pass this one off to you then so that uh, you can just just go, go all Zanotti on it. You've got Kellyanne Conway at CPAC saying that modern feminism is useless. Ooh, feisty. I like it. Yeah, actually, I loved this speech that Kellyanne Conway gave this morning. And she basically said that the women who are hitting the Women's March on Washington and who are headlining this day without women, that's not real feminism. In fact, that those women who are hitting those streets are actually afraid of a conservative woman who manages to make it into a position of power because it challenges their idea that everyone has to be a victim. And she was basically saying that Feminism today is about constantly being a victim. Someone else is oppressing you. Someone else is making you unequal. And really, for women, the point is to not feel like a victim. It's to be courageous in the face of sexism and to fight for your own equality and to go out and achieve. And, I mean, she certainly has. She's the first female campaign manager to successfully uh, push a presidential election into the White House. So, it's great coming from her, but yeah, she did say that feminism as it is today is completely useless. And just wanted to get you to weigh in on the Trump administration withdrawing Obama's guidance for schools on transgender bathroom usage. Whatever one yeah. may think of this, and I, I had the the whole I had the situation play out last night of sitting here and saying something. And a friend of mine sending me a text during the show saying, have you seen this? This is horrible. (laughs) I'm like, uh, I'm I'm sitting here in full buck mansplain mode and I'm getting a text (laughs) message from a friend like, did you see this? Maybe you should address how terrible this is on your show. And whatever one may think of transgender bathroom usage, a couple of things I believe transcend ideology and just are true here that one must keep in mind. For one, Obama put this rule into effect in the second term of his presidency, but a few years ago. So up until then, I suppose, everybody, including Democrats and the Obama administration, were encouraging, bullying, and ostracizing these students. And all the stuff that's being said now, because states will make the determination instead of the federal government, uh, that to me just shows, once again, how intellectually unserious many of the strongest proponents of the progressive agenda truly are. Right. And it's not as if he's saying or Donald Trump is saying you cannot make provisions to protect transgender students in your school. He's just saying it's not the federal government's responsibility to tell individual public schools who are located miles away from the federal government 
how to run their lives. So he's saying, you know, if your state and Andrew Cuomo went ahead and did this and the governor of Connecticut went ahead and did this, that if your state wants to do this, that's your prerogative, but I'm not going to force it on you. And it certainly was a departure, too, from Title IX. We use Title IX for gender-based discrimination in schools, and they were going to use Title IX to revoke money from public schools who didn't follow the Obama administration's commands. And that's really not fair. They don't know how to do it. There's no way, there's no rubric on how to implement the changes or even what the changes were supposed to be. So these schools were going to lose funding without any due process at all. How would one even enforce any aspect of Title IX, considering now gender is gender is not to be flippant, but I guess to be flippant, a state of mind? Yeah. Right. And actually, it's a spectrum now. So you can be one of 37 genders. So it's kind of difficult to enforce Title IX now. If somebody offered me on the spot right now uh, a, a million dollars, we'll just make it fun, uh, which in New York City would, would buy you like a 300-square-foot apartment, side note. Um, but if somebody Fair offered enough. me a million dollars, that was a little bit of an exaggeration for those of you listening, but not that much, uh, I wouldn't be able to name more than three or four of the genders, I think, that are offered up of the 37 genders that Facebook and others now say exists. That's that's where it is. I, I don't think I could do more than three or maybe four. We have a little chart in the wall on Heath Street that we got from something called the Social Justice Wiki that actually lists all 37 genders and their hierarchy. So some genders are more oppressed than others. So we actually have a little bit of a chart that gives us all of the genders and where they fall in the hierarchy of oppression. It's pretty fascinating. Can you guys start making T-shirts that say part of the patriarchy and proud? Because I want one. <laughs> I feel like that would be good. I want one of them. I'm, I am, like, I am I'm, I'm propping up the patriarchy here night after night on the Buck Sexton Show. All right. Emily Zanotti, everybody, political editor at Heat Street. Her stuff is on heatstreet.com. You should follow her on Twitter. She's the best. Emily, thank you for calling. Thanks a lot. Team, we will be back right after this break. Welcome back, Team Buck. Vice President Mike Pence is speaking right now at CPAC. Let's go to the audio. This is the first time I'm here as Vice President of the United States of America. Because of all of you, because of your hard work and your support and your prayers, my family and I have the privilege to serve. And more importantly, because of all of you, my friend Donald Trump is the 45th president of the United States of America. 45? Yep. You know, you know, the president and I have become good friends. It's the greatest privilege of my life to be vice president to a leader of such conviction vision and courage. Now, some people have remarked that we're a little bit different. <laughs> you know, I'm a small town guy. He's big city. I'm Midwest. He's Manhattan Island. <laughs> he's known for his bigger than life personality, his charm and his charisma. And I'm like, not. Well played, Pence. I like this guy. You know, as I said at the Republican convention, I guess he was just looking to balance the ticket. <laughs> but all kidding aside, when President Trump asked me to join him on the ticket, I said yes in a heartbeat. Because you have elected a man for president who never quits, 
He never backs down. He is a fighter. He is a winner. And I promise you, he will never stop fighting until we make America great again. All right. I, let's. Uh, so Mike, Mike Pence, they're doing an excellent job at CPAC. And uh, they've made some really inspired picks for an administration, or really for a president and an inner circle around him during the campaign that was constantly criticized for being political novices, not having good judgment, not having a a machine. I, I remember hearing so much about how Trump didn't have a ground game, so he can't win because there's no ground game. And what you see is that pundits who go on TV and just don't really want to read too much or bring any new insights to the, to the uh, situation, when in doubt, just talk about how Somebody has a good ground game and or, or not, based on what you've heard other people saying about the ground game, because who can really, you know, who can really check in on that? Uh, so you know, Pence was a really strong pick, I think, for the vice president, uh, vice president role. And he's been doing a good job so far in that. And he's definitely a it seems like from the outside, a steadying influence on this president and the team that Trump has put together now, you look at a lot of his top people. I think Tillerson, by the way, is going to be one of the surprises uh, in the sense that there was so much talk about how he, because he was, I mean, this guy was the CEO of the biggest company in the world. And Democrats were acting like, you know, they, they, uh, the Republicans had picked some some drunk vagrant uh, out of a park somewhere and, you know, clean him up a little bit and said, hey, let's make this guy secretary of state. Uh, oh, yeah, he's he's in Russia's pocket. He's he's close friends with Putin. And the guy has to do business. He has to do business in foreign countries, running the biggest corporation in the world and and worked his way up and is very successful, both in running Exxon and, of course, personally successful. And I got to tell you, I know this doesn't get much attention from uh, other people out there uh, that look at politics, but the Clintons were so liable to all kinds of influence. Well, of course, they ran a global influence peddling scam with the Clinton Foundation. But these people who come into public office and become very wealthy while they're in office or are a little wealthy when they come in and are very wealthy by the time they're done, I find that troubling. And if they if they have a D next to their name, nobody seems to want to look into that. Uh, I'd rather have a secretary of state who knows that he doesn't need this. He's been very successful. He can retire and fly fish and hang out for the rest of his life if he wants to. Uh, he's doing this because he wants to serve his country. You know, think of motivations here. So much of what's been said about Trump and some of his top advisors, Tillerson at the top of the list, revolves around that they are so rapaciously greedy that they would sell out their country. They would sell out their country for a few bucks. I I don't think so. The Clintons, yeah. Yeah, they sold. They were willing to sell out a lot for a lot of bucks. And we saw that happening. The media pretended that it wasn't. So anyway, I think Pence is a very doing a very good job of having a steadying hand in this administration. And we'll see what they unveil in the weeks ahead. I, I'm expecting some strong moves. And if not, well, we'll have a lot of fun here talking about how they're messing up. All right, everybody. Hour three is already upon us. I've got a fantastic guest coming up. 
Buck Sexton with America Now, where there's always something to talk about, where you can trade opinions with Buck. Not sure you'll win, though. Just call 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, Buck, you're on. So, team, we talk a lot about politics and national security here. We talk about current events and everything that's happening in the news cycle. I like to mix it up, though, too. Just spice some things into the show that I find interesting, things that I just want to learn more about, and I think that you will, too. Things that uh, I'm, I'm a novice, but I'm uh, trying hard to pick up more information as, uh, as I can through reading and, and just teaching myself about these things. And I'm lucky in that I can have world-class experts come on this show to tell all of you about them, too. I find space interesting. Producer Sarah over here said it right before the break. Science is cool. I agree. Science is cool. And space is a very interesting part of science. We're joined now by Sarah Seeger. She's an astrophysicist and planetary scientist at MIT. Oh, yeah. Her research uh, focuses on theory, computation, and data analysis of exoplanets. She was one of the heavy hitters that NASA brought to announce this major discovery. And here's the discovery. Actually, Sarah, I'm going to let you tell everybody. What was this huge discovery about a whole bunch of exoplanets? Hey, well, first, thanks for having me on your show. Well, the discovery was the announcement of seven, not just one, but seven planets the size of Earth orbiting another star. That's pretty cool. Now, they're, it's far away, right? What is it, 235 trillion? Is that right? <laughs> it's 200 trillion, 235 trillion miles? It's quite a ways from us. Yeah, space is vast. Yeah, so space is a big place. That I did know. So these, these planets are, are super far away, but we can see them with this, uh, this telescope, which is called TRAPPIST. What's the TRAPPIST? Yeah, well, TRAPPIST, you know what? TRAPPIST is just, it's like, if you built your own telescope, you could name it whatever you wanted. And the person who built the telescope just named it TRAPPIST for whatever reason. I'm yeah, not I mean, my telescope, I'd call it like Zeus the Destructor or something, but TRAPPIST is cool, too. So what does TRAPPIST do? Well, what TRAPPIST does is it looks at a really special kind of star, just one at a time. And we call these, you're going to like this, ultra-cool dwarf stars. Because first people would name a cold star a cool star. And then they named a small star dwarf stars. You had cool dwarf stars, but what are you going to do when you find an even colder, smaller star? They named it ultra-cool dwarf star. Wait, that's really what it's called? Ultra-cool dwarf star? Best band name ever. (laughs) We ran out of, almost ran out of adjectives. So they're looking at these very small stars because it's easier to find small planets around small stars. Yeah, okay. They started looking at them, and one of the first ones they looked at, they just found like this bonanza. It's like hitting the jackpot. Seven planets. So we've never seen anything like these are. What is an exoplanet, by the way? That's one of the head. That's that's in the headlines about this discovery. An exoplanet is what? An exoplanet is a planet that orbits a star other than our sun. Because, like, we usually forget, but our sun is actually just a star. And all those other stars are out there are suns. And if our sun has planets like Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars, etc., it really makes sense that other stars should have planets also. But in the last, like, 10 or 20 years, we have found, astronomers in general have found thousands and thousands of planets around other stars, and we call those exoplanets. Gotcha. Now, these particular exoplanets, there's a, a cluster of seven of them in this uh, solar system, which is outside of our solar system, which is why it's an exoplanet, They're very far away, 40 40 light years from Earth, which is is a quite a distance, as I understand it. 
Um, but what can what do we know about these? I, I'm sure what people would want to immediately get into here is let's just assume theoretically that uh, I built a super fast space booster, which I know Sarah is not the technical terminology, but I made something that could go vroom vroom real fast and get us to those planets. Do we know if they're possibly habitable? Do we know if they have no, water? Actually, no, no, we don't know. But we're going to be able to find out. And that's partly why we're so excited about these planets, because all those other thousands we found, they're either not Earth-sized or they're, they're not suitable for life, and we can't study them at all. These ones are just in the right configuration so we can study them further. What does that mean, configuration? I and mean, why do we think these may be more likely to have theoretically, right, they actually could already have life on them. Not, I'm not trying to get all... I'm not trying to get no, all... no, they actually could. And, you, and even more interesting, they could actually have their own radio show in whatever frequency they are tuned to. Uh, about hopefully us. they're listening to the Buck Sexton show. I mean, I know it's kind of far. I don't know if our signal travels, but we'll see. But I, I, I agree with you. We don't know what's going on over there, but we know that because of the, as you say, the configuration of these planets, they could be temperature-wise able to sustain life and there could be water. Is that is that where we are? I mean, they're at least in yeah, the in the ballpark of all that. And what we're waiting for in particular is for a new space telescope to launch because we've had the Hubble Space Telescope, you know, for decades now. But we've been building, uh, that means our whole nation, actually. We've been building Hubble's successor, the next Hubble. And that telescope is much bigger, much more powerful. It's called the James Webb Space Telescope. And that telescope, even though we don't have the spaceship that can go there, once our telescope is launched, we can just look at it from far away. We can look all that way from here and try to see what's in the atmosphere and see if there's water on the planet and maybe even see if there's some kind of life. How far are we away from having this uh, mega telescope active and, and ready to go? We're about a year and a half away. It launches in 2018. Where's it going to be? Uh, to, it launches in the fall of 2018. No, but where? Oh, where? The telescope is going to launch, and it's most of our space stuff we launch, like for defense and communication and for science, it orbits Earth. But Earth is actually bright and not suitable, so this telescope is going very far away. It's going about a million miles away to a special balance point between um, a special balance point between the Earth and the Moon. So it is possible then that in a year and a half we would, with this greater magnification telescope, be able to see these seven exoplanets with enough clarity to have some sense as to whether they have water and therefore are capable of sustaining some life forms. That's right. But I don't want to mislead you, so it's not like a big glaring picture or a beautiful ocean. <laughs> no, no. Like no, I'm not going to see like people on the beach hanging out. Okay. Yeah, I get, yeah, sure. Well, yeah. We're just going to, it's like a forensic crime scene. We've got to put pieces together of things we can see and try to figure out what's going on. But yes. Are you involved at all, just out of curiosity, in, in research for uh, underway, the, some of the discussions and talks that I know also are private sectors taking a bigger hand in this, of getting to, to Mars and the habitability uh, therein? I don't work on it specifically, but it definitely overlaps with what I do. Yeah, how far away are we from being able to set up something like the like Matt Damon from The Martian where you're living there and, you know, it's a little bleak, uh, you better bring enough food, but you can actually live in some capacity in a facility there. How far away is that? The thing is, like, it depends if you want to do it safely. So if you're really <laughs> okay, like you're ready to be launched soon, actually, we could do it really soon, in a few years or 10 years.
Yeah, this is like the big question about me on radio. It's like, are we ready to launch this guy safely? Is this going to exactly. work out? And I'm like, no, let's just you're go. Not worried about the risk? Like, Let, yeah, let's let's just go for it. So, it, 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 if, if risk was not as much of a concern, how quickly could we get out there, and and how long could life how long could we sustain a mission on Mars? Well, if you think about it, we've sent lots and lots of things to Mars. There are rovers on Mars. There's a rover on Mars that has been working for ten years. So we have a lot of experience in getting to Mars and landing safely. So that part we have under control. But in terms of us, we're so fragile. I mean, we like to think we're so strong and successful, but that environment is horrible. No, I wake up in the morning and my back hurts, and I can never find, I can never find my slippers. I think I'm quite fragile. Well, on Mars, your back wouldn't hurt as much because since the gravity is lower. There we go. Yeah, see. But it, you'd have to bring everything with you to start with, and that's where it would be harder to think about surviving. And what are there any other interesting projects for uh, for uh, you know the the average listener, average reader, viewer out there uh, that are that are coming up on NASA's radar that are of interest or that you'd want to tell people about? Uh, let me think. <laughs> sure, take take your time. Um, I mean, what else? What else are you working on in your role as an astrophysicist and planetary scientist at MIT? Which, by the way, you know, I used to be in the CIA, and people thought that was cool to say at cocktail parties. Way cooler to say I'm an astrophysicist from MIT. Side note: you guys actually know stuff. Yeah, well, there's just so many things going on; it's almost impossible to summarize them. But I will give you one example in our own solar system. Sure. And it's called actually Europa, which is a moon. It's actually a moon of Jupiter. But what's special about that moon is we're confident that it has a liquid water ocean, but not floating on the surface, but underneath a layer of ice. Ah. And all life as we know it has, needs water. We think where there's water, there's always some chance for life. So in addition to Mars being like one of our favorite planets in the search for life, there's Europa. And we're trying to figure out how to send a spacecraft there that could orbit it and even land on it. Oh, wow. How far away is this one? I mean, obviously not trillions of light years because we can get there. Or trillions of uh, miles, rather, not light years. Go ahead. It's one of Jupiter's moons, so it's about five times further from the sun than Earth is, if that helps. We always think of things in relative terms, not usually absolute numbers. But to get to Jupiter takes a few years. Takes a few years, but we could get there. Okay. We're not like in the news media where, you know, everything's like tomorrow, and then you move on to the next story. It takes so long to build these really complicated spacecraft that we think in terms of years right i mean so you want to make sure you've downloaded enough game of thrones episodes and you got you know some some good books on the shelf because it's going to be a long journey but we could get there and uh, are we sending any mars rover type uh, exploratory vehicles to see what you mentioned this possibility of ice and water beneath it is that happening um i'm not sure if it's going to happen this time people really want to be able to drill down imagine drilling down into the ice and getting to the ocean but we're just not 100 percent sure how um, thick that ice layer really is. But people are working on it. You can go to laboratories where people have, like, these really tall chambers where they're putting large blocks of ice and figuring out how to melt and drill down into them. This is so cool. Sarah Seeger, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Sarah is an astrophysicist and planetary scientist at MIT. Sarah, anywhere you want to direct people to check out your research or projects you're working on? Sure. Well, they can just Google my name, Sarah Seeger, and they'll come up with stuff. Um, if they Google NASA exoplanets, they'll find even more. All right. Awesome. I learned a lot today. Sarah, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you. Good night. Good night. And Team Buck, we're going to take it back in from space and bring it here, bring it home. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Team Buck. Uh, I am looking at this, and I have to say that it troubles me, and I also recognize that I'm going to have to 
Gonna have to say that I I recognize a um what's the word? I recognize that there's a problem with the way I approach this versus other things a little bit here. Let me explain. That was very vague, I know, but we're transitioning from talking about seven exoplanets. That's right. Tomorrow when you're walking into the office or taking the kids to school or wherever you are, just be like, hey, do you hear about the seven exoplanets 235 trillion miles away? Oh, you didn't? You don't listen to the Buck Sexton show. And then you can send them the podcast, which is available for free on iTunes. So Trump administration is hinting at a crackdown on recreational pot. Now, let me just say... I would be very honest with you. If I were somebody who dabbled in the marijuana, I would let you know that because I think that that's only fair, especially if I'm going to have a position on a policy like that. And if you want legalization, you don't think you should pretend. I don't I don't I don't smoke weed. Um, I and I, I have not in. Well, I stopped after September 11th so I can join the CIA. So it's been a long, long time. And I was never somebody who particularly uh, enjoyed enjoyed smoking weed. I'll be honest. I never really liked it. Um, I always found it to be, well, I, I tend towards the, the anxious and the overthinking in general. So I have to, I have to force myself to mellow out. And so I would figure that people always talk about marijuana can make you more mellow. For me, it always just made me more nervous. Anyway, so I just, I'm not a weed smoker, but I am in favor of decriminalizing marijuana and it's, and I'm not in favor of decriminalizing all drugs. I think that that is sloppy because drug first of all as we know alcohol is in reasonable doses is fine and i do drink and i enjoy a glass of wine here and there i like tequila i like a good scotch um but i try to stay away from the from the mixed drinks side note but uh you know generally speaking um i'm okay i i I drink and i think that marijuana should be uh decriminalized and regulated Uh, i'm in favor of this is where me and the libertarians all have a come together moment and we you know just want to all hang out put on the cat stevens let the cat purr and uh and they could smoke some weed if they want i'm just there saying i don't think you should be arrested for this and a lot of people a lot of good conservatives disagree with me but uh, the argument, for example, that marijuana is a gateway drug, I've read a lot about it, and there's just that's just a theory. There's really not much evidence that I've ever seen, and if I'm wrong, please bring it to my attention that it's a gateway drug. Um, and I do think that people certainly can smoke too much weed, and it's bad for them from a health perspective, and also it's bad for their productivity, but that's true of a lot of things. <laughs> so uh, a lot of things that are currently controlled and regulated, but legal in certain context. I certainly don't think that people should have their lives, their careers ruined and their freedom taken away for uh, the recreational use of marijuana. And I have to break with the Trump administration on this one because they're saying or they're 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 hinting, to be fair, they're only hinting at it. And they've hinted at a lot of things that I'm going to have a problem with, by the way. Trillion dollar infrastructure spending, uh, you know, tariffs on trade. You you go down the list. There are a bunch of things that Trump is talking about where I'm not going to be able to, in good faith and in good conscience, uh, show up here and be like, yeah, it's great. I love what what Trump's doing on that thing that's totally not conservative and that's bad for the economy. And no. Or or if all of a sudden he's like, yeah, you know, let's just like, let's just give all of our sensitive nuclear technology to Russia. That sounds like a great idea. No, I would have, I mean, obviously he won't do that, but I would have a problem. I'd have a problem with something like that. (laughs) A big problem. That's obviously a crazy example. You know what I'm saying? So with the weed, here's the thing. Uh, I think that it should be decriminalized. Colorado and Washington State, which have decriminalized it, 
are uh, doing fine. And in fact, they have discovered that this is a lucrative source of state revenue. And just as they have managed to get away with the lottery, which is gambling for lower income people for the most part, just gambling for lower income people. That's all lottery is. But they use that money, I th- at least in New York, I think they use it for schools. So it's, oh, well, we're using the money for schools, you know, for teachers unions. But they use it for schools, too. Out uh, in Colorado and Washington, they are also using the money that's taxed for marijuana for schools. And so that's a way of getting around. Are you allowing people to engage in behavior that is destructive and that is bad for the rest of the economy and causes problems in any number of in any number of ways? Uh, but here's the here's what I have to be very honest with you all about. And if you have any thoughts on this, by the way, on on. The Trump administration cracking down, I think it'll be on those states. It might be a broader crackdown in general on marijuana, which is a federal, it is a federal crime right now. It still is a Schedule One, a Schedule One drug from the uh, Narcotics Act of, I forget, I think it's the 70s, I forget when exactly it was passed. But they created these schedules of drugs, and marijuana is Schedule One up there with cocaine and heroin, and those are... Much more dangerous drugs, and that's why I don't I don't like people say, "Well, are you for legalization of everything?" No, of, of course I'm not for legalization of everything. Uh, absolutism is is rarely good policy, e- even on the Second Amendment. I, I do think that taking the Scalia definition of uh, or the, the Scalia approach, the Second Amendment, yes, even at the in the time of the founding and when they were uh, signing and, and writing the Bill of Rights and then signing the uh, of course signing the Constitution. Um, even when that happened, there were some understanding that, you know, maybe having a cannon foundry in your backyard and having exploding mortars that you could, you know, <laughs> have a siege of a, of a government facility with, that, that might have been a problem. I don't think everybody should be able to walk around with Stinger missiles. I do think, but I think an AR-15 is in common usage. And I think that the government's current crackdown on that is uh, is disingenuous, constitutionally unsound, and, and it's wrong. Semi-automatic rifle. You know what, guys? I'm running into two different things here that I want to talk to you about, both of them. So let's talk about weed, and let's talk about Maryland's gun ban, ban on uh, so-called assault rifles, coming up here in the next segment. And I'm sure a few of you probably have some thoughts on both of that. So we're going to we're gonna stack the back of the show here. We got weed legalization and guns. Isn't the Freedom Hut a great place, everybody? We have so much fun. We're going to talk about both of those things in just a few minutes. If you want to call in 844-900-2825, we will be back in the Freedom Hut momentarily. The things that matter most in your day-to-day life are too important to trust to just anyone. That's, that's That's why he's here. Buck Sexton with America Now. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Oh, we're talking weed and guns in the third hour of the show today. Uh, More specifically, weed legalization and gun bans, or a crackdown on weed legalization and gun bans. Now, it's not technically right to say it's legalization. Let's start with the uh, the weed, uh, and then we'll get to... Let's start with the weed, then we'll get to the guns. That sounds like I'm, you know, it sounds like a different kind of show. Uh, but anyway, it sounds like a different kind of discussion. But let, let's start with, with marijuana. So uh, I, I could talk to you at length, and I feel like a lot of my fellow conservatives get, they just, they don't care enough about weed. They don't really want to, you know, libertarians are always, you know, uh, in favor of this. And, and I agree with them on it, but I also realize that it can be, it can be annoying to go, well, what about marijuana legalization? It's, 
not the most pressing issue in the world. And by the way, if you got if you got thoughts on weed or guns, <laughs> I bet a lot of you do. 844-900-2825. So on the weed thing, you've got the Trump administration saying they may crack down. Here's the here's the issue. The Obama administration did something that was uh essentially lawless. They said they would not enforce federal laws. Uh, the Controlled Substances Act of 1970, that's what I was referencing before, C, uh, the CSA of 1970, puts weed as a Category 1 uh, prohibited substance. It is illegal to possess, sell, grow, all that under federal law. But, and I was just speaking to producer Sarah about this before, uh, they have states where they have a lottery system and you can set up a shop and you can sell this stuff. And of course, there's medical marijuana in California. And I have friends who are like, oh, my toe hurts. I need some medical marijuana. We all know how that game is played. So there's been this experiment with a like a, a policy that is a live and let live with marijuana in some states, but it's also illegal under federal law. That's not the way this should be done. And I can't I can't in, in good faith say to you, well, immigration law should be enforced because the law is the law and marijuana laws should not be enforced because they don't count. Um, this should be Congress should take action on this and the American people should they should listen to the American people on this and they should either move marijuana off of Schedule One of the Controlled Substances Act of 1970 uh, or you know, they should do something. This is a problem of consistency. I, I can't say to you that the law is the law and it must be enforced. You know That doesn't mean that the law has to always be enforced in every instance, right? There is prosecutorial discretion. But prosecutorial discretion is not nobody who violates this law will get prosecuted. That's nullification of the law. That is, that is a form of lawlessness. And that's certainly what we've had in large part on immigration, and I am against that. And as much as I am, and from a policy perspective, in favor of marijuana legalization, I do not like this situation of it is clearly still illegal under federal law. And in a sense, by the way, this is all a monster created by progressives in this country because it was progressives under the uh, progressives on the Supreme Court with the Wickard v. Filburn decision that made interstate commerce the catch-all for anything the left wants to regulate. And, and and control and tax and destroy, they will say it has some effect on interstate commerce. And in Wicker v. Filburn, it was he was growing wheat and he was going to not even sell it across state lines, but sell it in his own state. And they said, well, that will affect the market in other states because of interstate commerce. Therefore, we can regulate it. And now with Obamacare, and I know we're moving fast here, but weed and guns, we don't have that much time, everybody. With Obamacare, they can regulate inactivity, which was why people who were watch, who were Constitution watchers and concerned about liberty and the erosion thereof were saying, now they can tell you you can't even not do something. Never mind, if you do this, we're going to tell you how you can do it, but now you can't say I'm not going to do something. Uh, regulating inactivity, which was the, the travesty of the Obamacare decision 5-4. Thanks, Justice Roberts. Boo. So... Congress needs to act because if the Trump administration starts locking people up after state authorities have been taxing this, what was it? it was f f f tens of millions of dollars in the state coffers taxing the legalized marijuana. And it's, remember, it's not really legalized. It's just turning a blind eye to marijuana industry. And I, I do not think um, 
I do not think that it's this is putting us in a good place. Congress should act on this, and they should either move it. You know, it's if if they move marijuana off of the Controlled Substances Act and leave it to the states, they just did this with guidance, not a law. I understand it's different. It's not really binding what the Obama administration did on transgender bathroom usage. But they could say that states will make their own determinations about marijuana and will take it all. But Congress is going to have to man up on this one and and take action and not just sit on the sidelines and avoid politically difficult uh, moves and conversations. So now that's my and I just wanted to establish that I'm trying to avoid inconsistency. It's not right for me to say on one thing, well, the law is the law and it should be enforced as the law or Congress should change it. And then on another, because I like the policy outcome, because, see, I'm not a progressive. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a leftist. I don't just the ends don't justify the means. And as much as I feel like nobody should get locked up because they want to smoke a joint, I also think that a a quasi legal status is bad for uh, everybody in the long run, because what happens now to these legal these legal shops if the feds if the feds go in there, uh, mandatory minimums for possession would you know this could be a nightmare really fast, and they and what you know then you're going to have what maybe jury nullification if I'm on a jury and some guy says the state of Colorado let me set up this weed store they've been taxing it they know it's there the police haven't bothered me and the federal government said it was okay, and now they want to lock me up for this. If I'm on that jury, do I convict? It's tough. It's tough. Not an easy call. All right. Um, got a whole bunch of calls up here. I had a feeling weed and guns gets gets every gets everybody fired up. Mario in Massachusetts on WHYN. Welcome to the Freedom Hut, my friend. Uh, hello there. Yes, I listen to you as often as I can. Thank you so much. Can you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, will you? Okay, I will. Thank you. They, um, uh, you know, about three weeks ago, I said, uh, not three weeks ago, about, about a week ago, I said, okay, uh, Trump's been in office now for about three weeks. And, and I thought to myself, and I, and I mentioned to my brother, I said, uh, the reaction from the establishment, that's Democrat and Republican establishment, has been so violent, uh, so extreme. Uh, the uh, that I said, how's it going to be in in three months, in four months? How's it going to be in a year? Where is this going? And uh, this doesn't seem like a, like, like a, a, a normal reaction. And I, my my view is that we might be looking at something like a rebellion, you know, something like uh, you know, some something something violent, because I can't imagine. Um, I can't imagine that this is going to stop. I mean, these people are are looking at the possibility of this administration turning over the U.S. federal government back to the American people under the Constitution, and they've fought against this for generations. I don't think they're going to allow it to happen. This is, and I, I think I'm I'm uh, I'm going to address your question as best I can, Mayor. It's a it's a very uh, it's a provocative and, and astute question. Um, I think that there is a recognition among the elites in this country and the elites who are on the left predominantly, but not entirely. There are elites on the right also who, who are worried about this, too. The, the corporatists and the cronyists, there are others, too. But there's a recognition of the elites that the Trump administration's 
ethos, approach, ideology, and promises to the American people are an existential threat to their position, to their sense of self, to their elevated stature in society, to their uh, any, you know, I'm speaking in broad uh, generalities here because I have to, but we could drill down into the specifics with the press. You know, wh- wh- why is CNN better than uh, in the eyes of people? I'm not saying it is. Why is CNN better than Washington Free Beacon? I love the Free Beacon. I'm just saying, oh, because one is bigger and more well known and is considered to be uh, the gold standard of journalism. Well, if that goes away because people think that CNN is fake news, guess what? It's not better, right? So there, you can point to specifics here. Uh, But what they'll do, and whether it's bureaucrats in the government who feel like government is the solution to all problems or any number of other people that view this administration uh, not just negatively, but but view it with hatred and ferocity, they think that it's a threat to who they are and their way of life. And so what they're willing to do, I don't know. Uh, So far, we're seeing people that are violating federal law by the leaks against the Trump administration. We're seeing people within the bureaucracy who are uh, speaking out in ways that are completely inappropriate. You have all these groups threatening to just tie the administration up everywhere in lawsuits and they're raising money for this. Uh, This is. Go ahead. You know, you know what I see also besides all of that, and I totally 100 percent agree with you. They're 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 moving large groups of people, uh, you know, in, in, in angry, destructive ways. The 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 black community, the uh, you know, my last name's Garcia. They're moving the the Spanish surnamed community. You know, the uh, they're moving they're moving other subgroups. You know, homosexual community and so forth and so on, and. Uh, eventually, these people all are going to totally make common cause, get together, and somehow, I see this as as a, you know a prelude to something much much bigger and and much more violent. What do you I I don't know. I I don't I I got I don't see that. Um, I'll be honest with you. I I don't see that. I don't think that this okay. is going to go. I don't think this is going to go to that level. But I do think of of any sort of armed uprising or anything like that. And obviously, that would be a terrible idea. Um, but I will say that uh, this is going to, it's going to get really ugly. I mean, they want him out of office, and nothing short of that will, when I say they, I just mean the left. Nothing short of that will stop them. But uh, unfortunately, Mario, i got to run into a break here, but thank you for calling in on WHYN in Massachusetts, and uh, team, we'll be right back. Buck Sexton with America Now talking about weed and guns, everybody, and that means the board is lit up like crazy, which I knew it would be, so thank you for that. Uh, I may not be able to really deep dive into the gun part of our conversation until tomorrow. Boo! I know, I know. I just I went long. I went long on the on the weed talk, um, but I wanted to take a couple of these calls and then I'll set up at least our gun conversation for tomorrow. It'll be Freestyle Friday, which means we can get into whatever. Uh, but Chris in Pennsylvania on WAEB, welcome to the hut, my friend. Hey, good evening, Buck. How you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for calling. Hey, uh, so I'm with you on the weed thing. Uh, I think that it should go back. Uh, it, you know, it, sh- it should be. Uh, it shouldn't be a Schedule One drug. It should be the same thing as alcohol and tobacco are. It should be regulated, kind of in that same category. And I would say even that the, the federal government shouldn't be involved in it at all. It, it, it should be a state's right issue. So I'll just shut up and listen to your response. 
No, no, I, I, I agree with every. I'm trying to think if I disagree. I'm looking for a way to disagree with you on that, Chris. No, I, I would agree with everything you just said. Uh, I, I can make the case for why weed is not more dangerous uh, than alcohol. I think that's there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of research, plenty of studies that that support that point of view. I, I know people who do both and who smoke weed and marijuana and and do both of those things, you know, simultaneously. Uh, so I, I have to say, I, I think that this is a place where Congress should take action. And um, I hope the Trump administration doesn't doesn't go after people on this one because I'd have to disagree with them. I know what the law says, but on this one, you've got states and the federal government telling you, oh, no, it's OK. Right. It's one thing when a sanctuary city says, no, no, we're going to ignore the federal government. The federal government's like, no, don't ignore us. In this case, you'd have both the federal government and the state government saying, yeah, don't worry about it. Go for it. And then we're going to lock people up. I, I, I just that's not right. That's not good. So Congress yeah. should act and it, it should be left up to the states. If Alabama doesn't want weed, but Oregon does. And come on, we all know Oregon does. Then that's how it's going to go down. No, and I agree with you on the uh, on the consistency issue too. I mean, you, you know, we want to do it the right way. So uh, yeah, legalize, I- don't criminalize. Absolutely, man. I'm with you, Chris from Pennsylvania. Thank you very much for calling in. Uh, Nick in Kentucky also wants to talk about weed. What's up, Nick? Hey, bud. Shield tie. Shield tie. I just thank you, sir. I just wanted to say uh, I'm from Kentucky, and uh, obviously uh, weeds and guns, uh, those are right up there at the top of our list. Cannabis sativa used to be the number one cash crop before uh, before the federal government shut us down. I thought it was bourbon. (laughs) Go ahead. Uh, Oh, oh, I'm drinking some right now, sir. Good Uh, man. What are you drinking? Recommendations on that other side. Uh, Right now. Woodford? What do you got? Drinking basil basil Hayden's. Ooh. Ooh, I'm getting the whole the whole Freedom Hunt crew is giving you thumbs up on that, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say cannabis sativa um, used to be our number one cash crop before the federal government uh, made it illegal. And that was not just marijuana, but that was also hemp. Um, Hemp is making a comeback now, obviously, but it's really just the male or female plant. And, and and really, I just I have a problem with this overall from the Trump perspective. And this is one of the things that concern me. I've, I've never been a huge supporter, but, you know, I do like what he's doing. Um, going after the states and uh, nullific, like you mentioned earlier, nullification, it, it's not it's not a, a federal thing. It's literally the states go, you know what, we're not going to we're not going to do that. I'm sorry. We're done. We don't care. We you you make whatever laws you yeah, want. It's basically saying if you that. if you got a problem with this, come and get us. And that's not a good that's not a good policy. Well, but but, you know, we're talking about something where the federal government is is basically making this overarching governmental body to enforce their own law, where if it's the state, the states are in charge of of you know, the law. Right, but that's why I gave you the background on the Interstate Commerce Clause in Wickard v. Filburn, which was the beginning of the federal, the, you know, the federal beasts, tentacles, and uh, and many arms stretching out all across the country on every issue. I mean, the reason you have a federal law about domestic violence against women, which is illegal in all 50 states, but the reason they think they can pass a federal law and that Joe Biden was all involved in the passage of this, the, the Violence Against Women Act, was that they tied it to interstate commerce. Well, everyone's opposed to violence against women, but that has nothing to do with interstate commerce. And there are already laws at the state level. That was was just political showboating from Biden and other Democrats. had nothing to do with anything. And, uh, you know, over-federalizing, especially criminal law, comes with a cost. So 
That's why, yeah, look, I I wish the Interstate Commerce Clause wasn't just used for weed regulation. I wish it was used only for interstate commerce. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that at all. However, you know, and and progressives often want to cite the Interstate Commerce Clause and the Supreme Court's rulings on that overall. But really, what trumps what in this situation? If the states make the law— and the federal government says, hey, this is the law, and a state says, we're not going to enforce that, regardless of what it is. Say it's a 55-mile-an-hour speed limit. If the state says, we're not going to do that, or, okay, we got to we got to run here, Nick, but finish up. Yeah, if we'll take away your funding if we don't. Okay, it's a $10 fine. The states still ultimately have the courts that decide whether or not these things are law. All right, Nick, thank you for calling in. Uh, I promise you guys we talk guns, and I wasn't that wasn't supposed to be a, 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 switcher, a switcheroo I was pulling there. Um, I didn't get to guns, uh, but uh, let's get to it tomorrow. You have the Fourth Circuit upholding Maryland's assault weapons ban. This is flagrantly unconstitutional. It is based on nonsense. It is uh, in violation of what Heller set forth for the Second Amendment. We will talk about it tomorrow night. Please download tonight's podcast on iHeart or on iTunes. You can subscribe. Until tomorrow, my friends, shields high.